Right, good evening everyone. I greet you again this evening in the name of Jesus. It's good to be here together to worship the Lord. It's very good of you to uh, set aside a week like this to come together and to worship and to learn from God's word. And it has to be very beneficial. Uh, I just know that revival meetings have been very beneficial to my life many occasions, and I trust it will be that for you as well. Thank you for being here this evening. We do know that life takes us to many places, and we have many things that we could do, but you chose to be here tonight, and God bless you for that. Uh, we appreciate the hospitality. We've been enjoying some good meals, and we've been enjoying a very peaceful location to abide while we're here, and we look out our windows, and we look, we walk outside, and we recognize that in the middle of March, George is a beautiful place. <laughs> Talked to our son today, we found out that Southeast PA wasn't a very beautiful place today, so it's kind of cold and windy up there, so happy to have a little respite in the warm. Well, it's not really very warm here right now, but we stood out there <laughs> I was glad for my hood today. We went to the school and watched the men. Sorry, men, I did not help you. Those of you who are there, pull on that chain or rope for the tug of war, but it was enjoyable to watch. So I said, that looks like a lot of pain. I said, that looks painful. That looks painful. I said it several times because it looked painful. So anyway, uh, we are going to talk about this evening. We're going to look into the Word of God, and the Word of God is going to tell us about entering the kingdom. To enter the kingdom. The young man wanted to know us uh, the, the last night's uh, the title of the message. Well, tonight it is to enter the kingdom. All right? So you got that. I want to tell you tonight that to enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, is the greatest opportunity known to man. That we can be part of the kingdom of God there is nothing greater that a person can have or experience or know as we walk planet Earth than to know that we're part of the kingdom of Christ. And God bless you, dear folks here tonight. You have that precious and special opportunity to be part of the kingdom of Christ. There are so many people in the world their minds are clouded with the world. They're clouded with sin. We all know that sin is a deceiver. And many people think that sin is the best they can do as they live life here. There are those who are deceived by a different and a false religion. One that has been developed by superstition and by imagination and by false revelations. And they're deceived in that religion and they're stuck in that religion and they're positive that if you, they try to do anything else, they're gonna be on the wrong track. And so is everybody else sure of it. And so if anybody dares to leave the path of whatever religions, I'm not gonna name them tonight, they will be struck down. They will be persecuted. They will be coerced. They will put their arm up behind the back and twist them to the point where 
They either have to give in or give up. Many give their lives for their faith. But to know Christ and to be part of his kingdom, and you, dear people here tonight, you live in such an ideal setting where you can serve Jesus. And I don't want to say it doesn't cost you anything, because it does. In fact, it costs you everything, but the everything that it costs you is not the same everything that it costs somebody in the Middle East. But it costs us no less. It still costs us everything, but the everything is a little easier here. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so tonight, to be part of the kingdom of Christ, what a delightful privilege. And the kingdom of Christ has a great cause, and that is to glorify the king of the kingdom, that being the Lord Jesus Christ, and then to bring others into this wonderful kingdom that we have the privilege of being part of. And there is no greater, and there is no better future for anyone than the person who's part of the kingdom of Christ. Because the kingdom of Christ is now, it is today, and it is forever. God is going to show you his love, his grace, his mercy, his power, his goodness forever. I can't imagine anything more soothing to the soul than to know I'm one of his. So tonight, you are of all people, of all people on earth most blessed to be part of the kingdom of Christ. So enjoy that and appreciate that. The king of our kingdom is perfect in all of his ways. Jesus Christ, our king and our Lord. I invite you to turn tonight to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at several scriptures tonight. They're all going to be related to entering the kingdom. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. It says this, Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw a great light and them which sat in the region and the shadow of death, light is sprung up. And then in verse 17, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, we're going to stop reading right there. But... I want to tell us tonight that if we had in our minds a clear picture of the kingdom of Christ and what it means and how valuable and precious it is, we would say there is nothing 
I would not do to be part of it. There is nothing I wouldn't do to be a part of the kingdom of Christ if we could really see it for what it is. If we could somehow in our society, if we could somehow put onto the minds of humanity the glories of the kingdom of Christ and show them what it would be like to be a follower of his and to, to show them the future, to show them the glory and the grace and the blessing that God has to pour out and give to them, if we could somehow make it clear to them, I can almost promise you and guarantee that every man, woman, child in this nation would say, I've got to have it. I've got to have that. Did you ever consider what it would be like if you were able to trade places for even an hour with some ungodly sinner person in this world. And, and you would have to, you'd have to endure an hour of the misery of their life living in sin. But they could enjoy an hour of blissful peace and joy that you can have, which you have whether you know it or not. Maybe you don't know what it's like to be in the dregs and the misery of sin, a horrible place to be and maybe you've always had joy and maybe you've always had peace and maybe you've always had a clear purpose for your life and so you don't really know what it's like to live without that and if that is the case give God all glory because you don't got to know what it's like to live where other people do but if you could trade with somebody for an hour and they would enjoy what, what kind of a life you live and the kind of a feeling in your heart. I'm sure that after that hour, they would say, I've got to have what you have. I've got to have it. What can I do to get it? And so Jesus comes on the scene and he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what did he say in response to that? He said, Repent. He said, repent. Because a life of sin does not fit with a life in the kingdom of Christ. Okay? Because in the kingdom of Christ, who is the king? <laughs> it's Jesus. And what does a king do? A king sits back and lets thing happen, things happen as they will, right? The king just lets happen what will. No, the king is in charge, right? That's what a king is. A king is the boss. A king sits on a throne. A king has authority. And a king has power. And if Jesus Christ is the king of your kingdom that you're part of, then he is the boss. He is in charge. He has authority. He has power. And where he reigns and rules, sin is not allowed. Okay? Now, our brother just talked about sin. Sin's not allowed, but there's provision for it. We read in 1 John, some of our favorite verses are there, that if we confess our sins, thank God, there's a 1 John 1.9. Because when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because there is 
always the possibility, as long as there is blood circulating through our veins, as long as there's air passing in and out of our lungs, there's always a possibility that we'll do something wrong. What do we do? God has made provision for that. It's not that we go around saying, boy, I can't wait to get involved in sin today. <laughs> no. No. But if it so happens that today something happens in my life and I have a, a bad response, which I'll confess that happens to me sometimes. Sometimes I've got a bad response to things that happen. And, you know, my heart smites me. My conscience bothers me. And usually not very long. Because I think as a Christian, it's really good. It's very important to get good at confessing. Okay? You don't have to wait. You don't have to wallow in guilt and misery to punish yourself. Do you understand what I'm saying? There were times in my life that I would say, you know what? I just feel so bad what I, what I did or what I said. or I just feel so bad. I, I, you know, I got to feel bad for at least the three days. Why? Why bother? When Christ has made provision for that mistake, that sin, that problem, I can take care of that now. It's like when you say something unkind to your wife. I know you guys never do that. I know. But if you do, no need to wait around. Just fess up, you know? Just say, you know what I just said, Okay, I'm sorry. No, no, say it better than that. Say, you know what? What I said wasn't nice. I'm sorry. Uh, and generally, the wife is gracious, and she said, you know, I, I, I found something out. I observed this in my life, all right? Men are better at it. Men are better at apologizing than women, okay? Maybe that's not true at your house, but I just remember my parents. I grew up in a home. My, my family was not, they were far from perfect. My brother and I used to go in a bedroom, and kneel by the bed and pray for my parents while they're fighting out in the kitchen, the living room, all right? That's the way I grew up. My parents would fight, 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 fight. And I heard my father many times, I'm sorry, dear, I'm sorry. I don't know that I remember my mother doing that a whole lot. I guess it was never her fault. <laughs> That's what it was. But you know what? Keep the, keep the account short. Take care of it quick and soon. That's how it is with sin. Take care of it quick and soon. God is faithful. He will forgive. He will cleanse. And so the kingdom of Jesus is not a kingdom of sin, but the kingdom of Jesus is a kingdom of righteousness. It's a kingdom of faith. It's a kingdom of truth. And it's not a kingdom of sin. So where Jesus reigns, where Jesus rules, is a holy place. And that holy place is to be my heart and my life. My heart and my life is a holy place because Jesus reigns in my heart. Well, this passage we read is directly following the account of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And you all remember how that all went. That was also immediately following his baptism. And so this little scripture we read here signals the beginning 
of Jesus' public ministry. Notice, did he go to the religious center to begin his ministry? Was uh, Capernaum and Galilee of the Gentiles, is that the, the hub of religion? What do you think? Some of you vote, sure thing. Some of you say, no way. Some of you say, I don't know. Okay, well, it was not the hub of religion. We all know that that was Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the temple was. Jerusalem is where the priests were. Jerusalem was where the sacrifices were made. You think Jesus would have come on the scene in Jerusalem and said, hey, Messiah right here, he's come. Standing right here. Read Isaiah, guys. Talking about me. That's not what he did. He went to these off-skirt towns way out in the boondocks, and he started his ministry in a faraway, obscure place. So what does that tell us about? I could tell us a lot of things tonight, but he cared. Cared about those people, the people that it's called Galilee of the Gentiles, a place of darkness and ignorance where Jesus went to begin his public ministry. Now, notice what he said about the kingdom. The kingdom, he said, you know what, guys? The, the kingdom is way out there. The kingdom is in a faraway place. Is that what he said? No, he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That means that the kingdom of heaven is here. And tonight, dear brothers and sisters, Friends, here in Hepzibah, Georgia, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is sitting on these pews. The kingdom of heaven is preaching from this pulpit. The kingdom of heaven is right here. You don't have to go looking for it. There are many religions that they need to go somewhere to get close to their God. They've got to go to Mecca or they've got to go to, I have a brother-in-law that lives in a city in India. There's only one, one reason you'd go there, two reasons. You go there, first of all, you go there to die because if, if you die in that city, you go right to wherever Hindus go. I don't know where they go, but the, the good place for them. The second reason to be there is if you want to be a missionary, okay? There's really only two reasons. You wouldn't want to live there for any other reason because it's a horrible place. There are shrines everywhere. There are idols everywhere. There are little temples everywhere. And they have these tiny little boxy apartments for people to just live in long enough so they can die there because that's the place to die, okay? Hopeless, tragic but you know what? Their kingdom is there. And that religion there, their kingdom is there. But the kingdom of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter where you go, it's here. The kingdom of Christ is at hand. It's right here. And you don't have to go anywhere to find it. That's because God is, one of his characteristics is omnipresent. Our God does not dwell in a temple made with hands and he does not dwell in an object 
also made with hands. That's called idolatry, by the way. But God is eternal. He is infinite. He dwells everywhere, and he knows everything. And so the kingdom is here. It's at hand. Not only is it here geographically, but it is also here as far as time is concerned. It's not something that was here and it's gone, and it's not necessarily something we have to wait for it to come in the future, but it is presently, currently here in this moment. And so Christ, as he, as he begins his public ministry, he says, the kingdom is here. And he was talking to people that were not in Jerusalem, People would have said, well, where is the kingdom of God? The people would have probably said, well, you got to travel to Jerusalem. And that's where the kingdom of God is. That's where the center is. That's where the hub is. But it's not that way. It is right here, right now. Did you ever lose or look for something and you had a real embarrassing situation? Did you ever do anything like this? I've, I've heard people do. I don't usually wear my glasses on my head, but on my glasses, man. I don't know where my glasses are. I can't find them anywhere. Everywhere I look, I, I thought they should be over here, over there. They're nowhere to be found. And then somebody says, uh, the, they're on your head, man. Oh, yeah, okay. So uh, it's sort of like the kingdom of God. It's right there. It's on you. It's around you. And you don't got to go, gotta go anywhere to find it. It's here. And so... That illustrates a little bit about where the kingdom is. It's right here. Um, people, they go looking for something that is immediately available. It's right there. At hand also indicates that it's right now. Some people think it would be great to live in Jesus' time. You know, there's only, there was only one Jesus. And so if you happen to be born in Europe and there was only one Jesus on earth, how likely would it have been for you to find him? Probably not. Maybe you would have been born in, not, not a whole lot of people were born in North America at that time. Probably maybe some, some, some indigenous peoples of some sort here, maybe. But for them to know Jesus, it's a good thing that Jesus went back to heaven. Because when he went back to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit is everywhere. <laughs> it, he can minister to anybody at any place on the planet Earth. And so instead of one Jesus, we have his spirit ministering everywhere at any given time. And so we don't have to wish we lived in Jesus' time. If only we had lived during the Reformation or some other time and period. Uh, maybe you wish that you'd have been born in the future. I, you know, I don't ever remember meeting anybody like that. Anybody wish they were born in the future? Sometimes we can wish maybe we were born in the past, but you can't really wish you were born in the future. But just be glad you were born when you were, because God put you on this earth for such a time as this, all right? So now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. The kingdom is at hand. It is here and it is now. So the first point of the message this evening, the kingdom is at hand. If you're a note taker, the kingdom is at hand. I invite you to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. 
We're going to read verses 44 to 46. Matthew 13, 44 to 46. It says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth, and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he hath found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Point number two tonight is the kingdom has great value. The kingdom has great value. Now the word hid is used here. Man finds a treasure that is hid in a field. Now how many of you think that the people around you that don't know Christ, do they understand you? What do you think? (laughs) Do they understand you? I want to tell you something. If you're not aware of this, I'll let you in on this tidbit of knowledge. Most people in the world think you are crazy. They think you are loony. They think that you have lost, you know, your marbles or you're a few few bricks short of a load or maybe you don't go to the top floor or, you know, there's all kinds of expressions people use to describe people that don't quite think straight. And so the world around us, they see the way we live, that we don't, you know, that they, they measure our lives by the things we don't do. With these people, they don't have TV. Or these people don't go to the bar. These people don't practice immorality. Or these people don't, and they go on and on with all the things that these people don't do. Poor, poor them. They are, they just don't think straight. If they really knew what life was all about, they would be this and that and the other thing. Oh, they'd be having a good time, but they live such restricted and regulated lives. How miserable they must be. Okay, they don't understand. They just don't get it. They don't know. That is because of the word hid. The treasure that you have found is not evident or apparent to everyone else. And so the treasure is a hidden treasure. And maybe it is not going to just pop out and everybody's going to see it. It's going to be found by those who look for it. It's going to be found by those who have the I don't know if you've ever read a treasure hunt book or or did anything like that or, you know, figure out where something has been hidden. But we have been instructed by God in his word. This is the treasure map right here. It tells you where to find the treasure. Tells you where it is hiding. Okay? It's not really hiding But you understand what I'm saying. It is not going to be evident to everyone. And so if people are not educated 
if they have no knowledge, if they're ignorant of God's word and his truth, how are they ever going to know that there's a treasure that's hidden in a field? How are they going to know that? They're not going to know it. But if you have been instructed, and we were at the Waynesboro Mennonite School today, and some of you were there, okay? Some of you were there. Some of you dads were there. God bless you. And some of you children here tonight, you were there. You are instructed. Children in that school, you're instructed about where to find the treasure. This is the treasure map. This is the treasure book. Tells you where the treasure is found. And you've been educated in it. You've been told. And so you know that there's a treasure hidden in the field. And most people, they just walk over top of it and they don't have no, I have no idea it's even there. They might walk right by it and it's right there. They don't even know it. Because they haven't been told that there's a treasure. But you... You say, hey, wait a minute. (laughs) There it is. There's a treasure here. There's a treasure here. And Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That means there is a treasure here. And you know it. And it's not far away. It's right here. I can access the treasure here. Now. The treasure is hid in a field. And a man figures out that there is a treasure in the field. And what does he do? It says that he hides it, first of all. Now, why did he hide it? Why didn't he just go and jump around and say, hey, everybody, look, look, here's a treasure in this field. It's because this man had to get ready to get the treasure. He had to go. What did it say? What's it say he did? He went and he sold everything he had so that he could accumulate the resource so that he could buy the field to get the treasure. He was willing to sell everything to access the treasure. Brothers and sisters, the treasure is worth selling everything to get it. Everything. If it was a choice, let me tell you something tonight. If it was a choice between you giving up your houses, your lands, your cars, even your relationships in your family, if it meant you had to give up everything to get the treasure, it would be a steal. Did you understand what I just said? It would be a bargain. Because that treasure is worth more than everything you have right now. Do you agree with that? It is. And you've got it. And you don't really. God says, yes, give it all up. And yet he says, you give it all up, but you can still have it until you're done with it. Okay? That's sort of how it is. Just so my heart... And just so your heart is not wrapped up in all the other stuff. Our hearts need to be wrapped up in the treasure and in our Savior, in our King. That's where our hearts need to be. And so the treasure hid in the field. The kingdom has 
great value. We are very much in tune with the sensory stimuli of earth. We live with sights, we live with sounds, material objects, pleasures, attractions, and many, because of those things, don't even notice the treasure. And so, the kingdom has great value. Let's turn to John chapter 3. This is a rather familiar passage. Again, talking about the treasure. Again, talking about the kingdom. John 3, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 8. Of course, the most famous verse in this chapter is John 3.16, and I apologize. We're not going to get to John 3.16, but we'll look at verses 1 to 8 anyway, all right? There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. All right, let's just stop there. This man, Nicodemus, if we were to take a a survey here tonight and say, was he a good man or a bad man? Which would you vote? Well, there's none good but God. Okay, we know that. But I think Nicodemus was a good man. I think Nicodemus was probably different than a lot of his cohorts. They were all full of criticism and condemnation for Jesus. And here was Nicodemus. He said some good things. He said, first of all, he called him rabbi. He said, you're a teacher. We know that that's that's what you are. You're a teacher. And he and he was willing to acknowledge the truth. Nobody can do the miracles that you do except God is with him. That was a correct observation. The other Pharisees, many of them were not willing to admit admit that. And later on, we find them saying to Jesus, the only reason that you can cast out demons is because you're in league with the king of the demons. That was attributing the work of God to the devil, okay? Which is a pretty serious thing to do. In fact, that's called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, really. That's what Jesus said, okay? Attributing the work of God to the devil. That's what they did. But Nicodemus, he's different. He says, Jesus, we know that, I mean, we all know this. Maybe some of us aren't willing to admit it, but at least we know that you can't do the things you do except God is with you. All right, now did Jesus let him finish? What do you think? Is that all Nicodemus ever wanted to say? Didn't he have more things to say than that? I I Somehow I just think that, I don't know if Jesus, I'm not going to say Jesus was rude and cut him off, but maybe Jesus heard what he was saying with his heart more than what he was saying with his mouth. Because Jesus cut to the chase. He went right to the issue. He didn't, wa- he didn't wait around to hear what else Nicodemus had to say. 
Verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What confusing words they were to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, number uh, verse 4, it says, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Nicodemus is confused. Jesus said you need to be born again. Nicodemus is thinking, born again? Born again? Born again? That doesn't conjure up a very good image. Born again? How can that possibly be? Nobody can go back in their mother's womb and be born a second time. So Nicodemus is thinking material. He's thinking physical when Jesus is talking spiritual. Has that ever happened to you? Preoccupied with physical and material when they're spiritual things we should be thinking about? So Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So he has to say it the second time. Verse 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And right now I can look out upon this crowd here in this church and I can see every one of you has been born of the flesh because you're sitting here in a body. You're born of, a, born of the flesh. You have a birthday. The day you were born into this world, okay? He says that which is born of the flesh, flesh right here, body, is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. In other words, there is another way to be born. There is a way to be born that is not visible to the eye. I cannot look out across the crowd and I cannot see tonight that you've been born again. I can't see that. I can see nice people. I can see smiling faces. I can see well-dressed people. And I can talk to you after church this evening and I can say these are very friendly, kind, and nice people. But I can't see whether you're born again or not. I can't see it. Okay? There is a spiritual dimension. There is a spiritual person living inside every one of us. And that spiritual person needs to be born again. Needs to have a second birth. And so Jesus says, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. And so point three tonight is we must be born again. We must be born again. You know, tonight it's so easy it would be so convenient. You know, you, do, we, do you like check boxes? Do you like those? You check off the boxes and you get the project accomplished. you like that? I kind of like that. I like to be able to check boxes and say, okay, I checked the boxes. I must have completed the project. And we would love if the Christian life or if the way to get right with God was a bunch of check boxes. Okay, go to church two times out of four every month. 
Read your Bible three times out of the seven days a week. Sing X amount of loudness when you're in church. Uh, whatever. You put whatever Xboxes you... I'm uh, not Xboxes. That's a game system. But you understand what I'm saying, okay? Uh, you, can, you can just check off the boxes. And if you check off the boxes, you've got it. But that's not the way it is. Jesus didn't say just check off the boxes. God, he says that if you're going to be part of the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. That is not an easy concept. Okay? It's not easy to understand, but it is very effective. So, to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. These words to Nicodemus are the same words to every man, except a man. It doesn't matter who you are tonight. <laughs> it doesn't matter who the person is. If he is the Pope, does the Pope need to be born again? Oh, but he is the head of the Catholic Church. He's such a pious person. Surely. If anybody, no, no, it doesn't matter. He needs to be born again. Um, how about, uh, you know, I can't give you any illustration of anybody that might not need to be born again because everybody does. Everyone. If a Hindu is going to go to heaven, he needs to be born again. If a Muslim is going to go to heaven, he needs to be born again. If a Mennonite is going to go to heaven, he needs to be born again. Anybody who is ever going to see the kingdom of God needs to be born again. And so we can't put our faith in anything else. We can't say, well, I've been a good boy. I've done what my parents said. I even did what the church said. So surely I'm okay. If you're not born again, you're not born again. And you're not going to see the kingdom of God. Um, there, are, there are sects, S-E-C-T-S, of very devout and religious people that do things we don't understand why they need to do them. We have a sect of Mennonites in our area and some of them are my friends. Steel wheel tractors, man. Drive steel wheel tractor. Make sure you don't have any rubber on your, on your tractor wheels. Um, I'm not going to fault them for that. It's okay. Uh, you can love Jesus and drive a tractor with steel wheels, but I sure hope they don't put their faith in steel wheels on the tractors. And so we can be ever so pious. We can be ever so obedient. We can be ever so religious. And yet, we know how to speak the right words. We know how to go through the right motions. We know how to do the right things. We just know how to look the right part. And everybody thinks we're great. But if we're not born again, we're not going to see the kingdom of God. Jesus said, except a man be born again. That means anyone, everyone, brothers, sisters, youth, children, everybody here. We need to be born again if we're going to see the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said. And how many of you would agree with me tonight? Jesus tells the truth. Jesus tells the truth. There is there's no way around it. 
Jesus says you must be born again. And so this applies to all. There are many who try to chart their own course, find their own way, try to substitute something else instead of submitting to the clear words of Jesus. Jesus is describing, when he talks about being born again, he is describing a radical change at the core of a man's being. In his very heart, his heart, his inner being needs to be born again. And the Bible describes this as a new creature. He becomes a new creature. You know, most people in the world have made such a wreck of their lives that if you went to them and said, you know what? You can trade in that mess for a brand new one. You know, most people would say, bring it on. Bring it on. My life is such a wreck. It is such a mess. It is such a disaster. Do you mean I could have a new one? The truth is you can have a new one. Jesus erases your past. And you can become a new creature. A new creation of God. It is the same as a spiritual resurrection. You were dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. Living in death. And then Jesus comes and brings life where there was only death. It is a new life. And the end of verse 8, Jesus identifies who does this work. He says, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And so born again tonight means born of the Spirit. It is a work of God upon the heart. The Holy Spirit does this work He produces this change. Can you be born again by effort? No. Can you be born again by payment? No. There's nothing I can do. I am powerless to born again myself. Can't do it. It's a work of God. It's a work of his spirit. You can't do it. I can't do it. Your pastors are very gifted, very talented, but they can't do it. Maybe your parents, oh, surely parents can born again me. Is that good terminology? I don't know. But parents can't do it either. Only God can do that. Is God going to stand over you with a club and say, you must be born again. I'm going to make you born again. Is God going to do that? God's not going to force you to be born again. No. You must seek to be born again. 
you must ask to be born again. And you must open yourself to God to be born again. I thank God that when I opened my heart to God, he did what he said he would do. He said, God, I need you. I can't live without you. I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I can't do a thing about it. God, be merciful. Please forgive. Please come into my heart. Please change my life. Ah, what a blessing. God does what he said he would do. You can be born again. And many of you here tonight know exactly what I'm talking about. God does what he said he would do when we open our heart to him. And so you must seek, you must ask, you must crave, and you must believe. You must open your heart to God for him to do his work there. Being born again is an act of submission. It's an act of surrender. It is a giving up of my will and my way and allowing God to do his will and have his way in my heart. God does this work with your permission and with your invitation and with your cooperation. That's how God works in a person's heart. With your permission, your invitation, and your cooperation, God will change your life. And that's how he changes my life even today. Because our brother talked about sanctification. He talked about growing. He talked about moving from where we are to where we ought to be. That happens as we open our hearts to God. And we invite him to change us. We cooperate with him as he does. And so if you want to see the kingdom, if you want to be part of the kingdom of Christ, you got to surrender your heart to God so that you can be born again. It's the most wonderful thing that will ever happen in your life. Well, let's look at another couple of scriptures tonight. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Matthew 7, 13 and 14 say this as part of the Sermon on the Mount. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and sadly few there be that find it. And so point number four tonight is we must enter by the straight gate. Now I recognize tonight the kingdom is not specifically mentioned here, but it is certainly implied. And notice there is one gate. The one gate is small and it is narrow and it is restricting. That's what the word straight means. It means it's very small very narrow. And Jesus is that gate. 
If anyone comes to God, if anyone enters his kingdom, it is through the Lord Jesus Christ. We know in John 14, Jesus said, some of the most used passages, and I've heard many, many preachers of many denominations read those verses at funerals. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And how many men are going to come to the Father except through him? Nobody. Nobody. No man can come to the Father except through Jesus. God has made a way. You know what? Most of the people in the world look at that and say, that's not nice. That's not fair. There should be many ways to get to God. And you know what? They should be looking at it, and we need to look at it the absolute opposite. You mean God has made a way? Do you mean God has actually made a way for mankind to be saved? Well, that's very kind. That's very generous of him. He didn't have to do that. But most people will take the other side and say, that's not fair. What about all the other sincere people in the world? It's a good question. But God has made a way. And that is very kind of him. It's not a popular message, but it's God's simple truth. Why should there be any way for men to come to God? God has made a way. You know, we've all been places where there was only one way in. I was out visiting my son. We were out visiting my son. He lives near Chicago. We went to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Have any of you ever been to Milwaukee, Wisconsin? Do you know what Milwaukee, Wisconsin is known for? Exactly. It is known for beer. So I, my family, my, my wife, my daughter, my son, my son, and my, his wife, we even took the little baby along, got some lovely pictures. We went to Milwaukee. How many of you think we drank beer? We did not drink beer. But we watched other people drink beer. We went to what's called the domes or something like that. Is that what it's called? The domes. And it's these in, inside, it's, in a, it's like a big, huge greenhouse with a very high ceiling. And they have a tropical dome. And then they have the desert dome. And they have another one they decorate with some other funny stuff. But we went in there. And you know, when we went in there, there was one door that got us in. And I, I didn't hear any, honest, I did not hear anybody complaining that there was only one way in. I didn't hear anybody complaining that we had to go to the ticket booth to get a ticket. Everybody just did what they were supposed to. We stood, some people had to stand outside in the cold wind and wait. You could just stand outside in the cold wind and wait because there's only one way in, okay? And nobody complained. It's amazing. And so that is a thing of earth. And everybody just complies. But when it comes to something of heaven, people don't want to comply. They don't think God is fair. Well, the people that operate those domes, that's not fair. There should be a dozen ways in. We shouldn't have to stand in the cold. We shouldn't have to just go through one door. You understand how absurd people think? It's okay if there's only one way in. 
there is a way in. And thank God we know what that is. But there's many who don't. Many who don't. We need to enter by the straight gate. The gate of Jesus Christ. One way, straight gate. And it leads on to a narrow way. At least there is a way. May I remind us, Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. And that's how most people live. They live by the way they think it's right. But the end thereof are the ways of death. That's man's way. But God's way leads to life. There is a way prescribed by God. And the end thereof is the way to eternal life. Sadly, this is not the choice of most people. Few find it, it says. That is alarming to me. Few find it. Am I one of them? Am I one of the few? We're not going to take a vote here tonight or take a survey to think, how many of you think I'm one of them? But you know what? That's a little bit alarming that few people are going to find the straight gate and walk the narrow way that leads to life. And so it behooves us to make our calling and election sure before God, doesn't it? So that I'm actually one of those few that do make it. And hopefully we can take others along with us. Instead, many, the multitudes, rush headlong on the highway to destruction, which is to their liking. They like it that way. They like life there. It is broad. It's smooth and easy. And it's fun. If we keep reading in that scripture in Matthew chapter 7, the following verses portray a sadder version yet. Do you know what, it's, you know what it talks about? You keep reading on in Matthew 7. It talks about false prophets. It talks about people that come before God in judgment and they say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out devils in your name? Didn't we do in your name all kinds of wonderful works? And God says, depart from me. Can you imagine the shock? The shock of people that spent their lives doing what they thought was God's work. And yet God says, I don't even know you. That's shocking. I want God to know me. I want it to happen like this, okay? I lay my head down to rest in, in the earth and I fly away to glory. And I walk into the presence of God. God says, Ted, I've been waiting to see you. Well done. Good and faithful, sir. Check that out. There's your mansion. Or your room. Or whatever version you like. Okay. That's what I want. And I'm, I, you know, by God's grace, that's the way I'm living. I'm living with a full expectation that when, God, when I see God, it's going to be a happy time. 
going to be a happy time. So, I, I, I can't imagine the moment of despair when people hear God say, depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you, depart from me. They called him Lord, but they didn't do what he said. You know, your life, friends here tonight, listen, your life proves whether or not he's Lord. The way you live proves whether he's Lord or not. And you can say, Lord, 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 all you want. You can go through life, your entire lifetime, saying, Lord, 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 Lord. But if you don't do what he says, you prove he's not Lord at all. Your life verifies whether or not he's Lord of your heart. Our profession needs to be of the heart, proven by the life, else our profession is empty words. One more verse tonight. No, there'll be two. Okay. Matthew 16, 24. Uh, the fourth point was we must enter by the straight gate. This will be number five. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Point five tonight is that we must forsake all. Now you're going to say, wait a minute, brother. <laughs> wait a minute. Does that mean I got to sell my house? I got to sell my farm. I got to give up all the, well, you know what? The truth is, the day is coming that you will give up your house and the, you will give up your farm. It's going to be left behind for someone else. That's just the way life is. But again, the kingdom is not mentioned in this verse, but definitely understood. And if you think that I stand here tonight and I, I have this mastered, uh, I don't. Did you ever hear a preacher preach a really, really hard sermon? And you wonder, does he really got that figured out? Is that really the way he lives? So I don't want to portray at all tonight that I got it all figured out. I don't. There's a lot of things I still have questions about, and I'm not sure exactly how to apply. But I do know that my heart needs to be with and on Christ and not on the things of this life in this world. That much I do know. We're still working on this. I'm sure this is a painful process that he's talking about. I am sure that it is costly to follow Jesus. I am sure that it's hard because self does not die easy. Self-denial. How many of you would say, oh, that's natural for me? Self-denial, oh, that's easy. Anybody like that? If you're like that tonight, I'll sit down and let you explain. Because it's not easy for me. Self-denial is not easy. And yet Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you need to deny yourself. So we should, you know, work on it. Figure out how to do that. To deny self obviously means that self has to go. Self must be yielded to Jesus. Sometimes self wants to sin. What do you do when self wants to sin? You say, well, I, I, I can't help it. I, I, I'm just going to go along with that. No. 
When self wants to sin, you say, no, Jesus, Jesus is in charge. Jesus is in charge of this person. I'm not going to do that. Okay? And I'm sure that you have experience with that. We live in a world that's full of temptations. We live in a body that is full of temptations. And I am sure that if you're a follower of Jesus, you've figured out many times how to say no to yourself. How to say no to the flesh. He, Jesus, is Lord of self. If he says no, we take it. Okay? Children are supposed to learn to obey, right? So that when dad says no, they say, okay. That's how children are supposed to function. Okay, just so you know. Children, do you hear that? Okay. And so when I am tempted to sin and Jesus says no, I say, okay, I won't. Okay, that's simple, right? That is what it means to have Jesus as Lord. Jesus is Lord, and when he says no, I say, okay, I won't do that. Okay? And then when he says go, then what? Then we say, okay, I'll go. All right? That's what it means for Jesus to be in charge of your life. When he says no, I say, okay. When he says go, I say, okay. We just go along with what he says. Take up the cross. Taking up the cross means that we have died. Paul says it well, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Okay? So Paul is saying that Paul is dead, but Paul is actually still living. And so you tonight, you are actually in Christ. You are to be dead. But actually, look, you're alive. And he says, there's a change that's taken place in my life. Yet not I, I'm not the one really living, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Died. Died. We die to ourselves, we die to sin, we die to the world. We sing the song, dead to the world, would I be, O Father, dead unto sin, alive unto thee. And so crucified with Christ means that he lives his life out in us. And then Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Follow me. Following Jesus means that we listen to and do what he says. And following Jesus means that we watch what he does and we do the same. Okay? Following Jesus, we listen to what he says and we do what he would do. That's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. We must forsake all. That is the last point of the message. So I don't know what the Lord has spoken to you about tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and you just could say, 
Amen. 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 Yep, that's it. Maybe you're here tonight and say, you know what? The Lord is really speaking to my heart about things. The Lord is really calling me. The Lord is really drawing me. The Lord is really telling me I need to repent of my sins. He's really telling me that I need to be born again. I'm not really his child. He's really telling me that I need to deny myself, take up the cross, and I need to follow. You know, I don't know what the Lord has spoken to you about tonight. But what was shared tonight is not always our experience, all right? I think I'm safe in saying we don't always live in the reality of what was shared. I know I don't. So I don't know what the Lord spoke to tonight, but what we're going to do is give you an invitation, an opportunity to respond to the Lord tonight.